Welcome into another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney with you. Hello, Justin. Hi, Mr. Hatch. What's I, up? I, I'm I'm just trying to get by. Somehow You're it feels grinding. like I'm I'm always sick uh, recording mm-hmm. this podcast. It's like once a month it feels like. Well, with our morning show too, you've been having to grind yeah. the last couple of days. Yeah, th- today was probably not great, um, but I, I feel a lot better today. So, uh, as far as this evening compared to this morning, as we record August thirty first ahead of another IndyCar race weekend, we'll recap what happened at the racetrack formerly known as Gateway with the Bomberino Automotive Group five hundred, and get you set for for the first time. An hey. IndyCar race, you know, since it came back on the schedule with a title sponsor, the BitNile.com Grand Prix of Portland. Let's go. Let's get crazy. It's, it's about time. You've been harping on that for like five years. Yes. And people finally listened because <laughs> it's all about me. So we have a lot to get into, plus silly season announcements and news. Uh, but first, we'll start with our race recap of the... Bomberino 500. Scott Dixon makes it two in a row, two fuel strategy wins in a row. And we start with our three things. And I think the most obvious thing is once again, no one else, but Scott Dixon can pull this off. We don't understand how he did it. Um, There's a a good story on IndyCar.com kind of talking about how he did this. But again, only he's able to do these things. It's, it, it's it's equal parts astounding and frustrating to the point like why can't anybody else do this why aren't other teams really looking at this going okay if scott dixon can do this we can do this and figuring out whether it's going through footage of when scott dixon lets up and i, I don't know but i would think some uh, a team particularly if you're a backmarker team going, you know what? We're going to just study Scott Dixon and what that team does at some of these racetracks in which they're able to pull something like this off and we're going to copy it. And I don't know why another team has not I know people will say, well, it's, it's Scott Dixon. I understand that. But if you study him enough, you should be able to figure it out. Wouldn't you be able to? Well, I feel? What's, what's funny is the, the IndyCar article points out that Mike Cole said on Twitter that it's a three-stopper. But everyone else, you know, you look at the guys like Will Power, Kyle Kirkwood, even Marcus Erickson. Um, I think I'm missing one other driver. They're all trying to do it, and they gave up, and Dixon yeah. just kept going. And yeah. by kept going, I'm talking like another 20 laps down right. before he he finally pitted in largest margin of victory of the season, over 22 seconds. I mean, three cars in the lead lap. I just Just nuts. Now, normally I am not one to like a fuel strategy race. But the the Indy GP or the the second edition on the season. I mean, you had Ray Hall chasing down Dixon, and then this time you have Dixon doing something that we didn't think was possible, and yet he pulled it off. I I will say I was more interested the second half when he went for it compared to everyone else. Um, you know, just bailing out and and going with a different strategy. The fact that he didn't run out of fuel. And I think more so the fact that no one even came close to catching him. It's no. shocking. Now, some of that, I think, is due to the track because yeah, it's, hard it to was, pass. it's hard to pass when you only have one lane, one racing lane. But I think it's similar to when you look at Formula One and Max Verstappen is you can take it one of two ways. Either you can be annoyed at what Scott Dixon is doing or you can admire it for the greatness that he is. And similar to Max Verstappen, either you can get annoyed with the fact that he's dominating or you can look at it as just how impressive he is. Because when you look at Formula One and you look at Red Bull, it's not like they're running one, two every week. He's he's consistently destroying Sergio Perez. So in that respect, you look at it and say it it can get annoying at times and monotonous but it's impressive with what Max Verstappen has been able to do similar to Scott Dixon when he continuously repeatedly wins races like this is it can get annoying it can get monotonous but we also have to appreciate the greatness that is Scott Dixon like the the fact that we only believe he can do something like this says a lot about him as a driver and look his 55th career win it was unthinkable that he was you know going to catch Mario let alone pass him and then now He's 12 race wins away, right, from from tying AJ Foyt. Now, I'm not saying he's going to do it because it would take another monster season like he had in 2020 right. to really make some hay 
Um, but you never know. I, I mean, he's still driving at the top of his game. Yeah, he wasn't. He, he's not winning polls on road and street courses anymore. But he's won from mid pack each of the last two races. So maybe we're putting too much stock into to qualifying because at any he's still one of the best qualifiers and has been for several years. And then he's still in the conversation on the qualifying aspect. It's the strategy that he's superior with Mike Hull compared to every other team in the paddock. And it's not even close. And I think we really need to recognize the greatness that is Mike Hull here because it's it's his calls and even the 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 other uh, engineers and such in the pit box that are coming up with these strategies, coming up with these numbers that say you need to make this in order to get to the end. And it takes a certain amount of people to come up with that strategy and throw numbers at Scott Dixon, and then it's his job to execute that. And so for all the kudos and accolades we're giving Scott Dixon, I think the same amount of kudos and accolades need to go on Mike Hall and company about coming up with this. Because again, it shouldn't be this hard for IndyCar teams to go, okay, what Mike Hall's doing, we need to figure out how he's doing it and we need to copy it. And then you're going to tell your driver, this is the number you need to make. And I don't care how hard it is. You're going to make this number. I just, I'm, I'm shocked that other teams haven't tried to copy what Scott Dixon and Mike Hall are doing, but make no mistake. This is a team effort. It's not just Mike Hall. It's not just Scott Dixon. It's a combination. The largest oval margin of victory since Elio won at Kentucky in 2010. I was at that race. I'm trying to remember exactly how it went down. I know Dan Weldon, I think, was charging late in, the, in Elio and Ed were essentially fuel save because it was green to the end, if I'm not mistaken. But I mean, it's just astounding, you know, how right. dominant. I mean, he he won by nearly an entire lap over the next two cars and then lapped everyone, you know, outside of of the top two guys. So or, or the other, you know, second and third in right. the field. So Award and Malukas, the only other cars in the lead lap. So just phenomenal performance. And once again, we're seeing Scott Dixon do things that only he can do. And I just I think later in his career now, we come to appreciate these things more just with any star athlete, right? Sure. You, you appreciate these things more. Um, even if you didn't like him as, as a driver, you know, at some point, like I, I think only he can do some of these things and it's just impressive every time. And it just, it, his greatness, I, I think just doesn't cease to amaze me anymore. It's just, it's so cool to be able to see it and appreciate it in real time. And we echoing the same things we said last episode. Just when you think that Scott Dixon is nearing the end of his run, he goes on a back-to-back race streak like this. Yeah, where where he, it, it wasn't dominance in the sense that he had a super fast car. It's that he took something that was mid-pack, pulled off a strategy, made it work, and suddenly he's second in the championship. Joseph Newgarden eliminated more on that in a bit. Um and presumably, I, I mean, it's going to take a lot of luck. But say Alex Blow has one bad race and Scott Dixon keeps getting, you know, top two, three plate, you know, finishes. Maybe this could be closer nah, than we think. I, I, I think no, it's probably it's, out of reach. No. We've, it, we're 15 races in. We're still question. OK, if, if Alex Blow has one bad race, it's, he hasn't it's not, had a bad race. No, it's not <laughs> happening. Um, and that was kind of the big deal over the weekend with with Joseph Newgard and people say, well, his championship hopes are dead. This championship's been over for a couple races. Okay. Is Alex Pillow is your champion. I don't, I don't care what's mathematically possible or not. This championship has been over for two plus races, three plus races. Um, so it was just the final nail in the coffin for Joseph Newgarden. But I guess I, I'm not sure why I'm supposed to feel sorry, sorry for Joseph Newgarden when it's the first of six ovals that he hasn't won. Yeah. And he started on bowl like, um, eventually he was not going to win an oval and it came to a dramatic head with him crashing. But I just was kind of questioning coming out of the weekend. People, oh, his championship hopes were dashed with that crash. Like, yeah, what he, championship he, he was hopes down really? by like, a, a race and a half, essentially. points yeah, wise. So I don't know. I wasn't kind of buying in that. I think it was Joseph Newgarden fans kind of trying to spin it that he got burned because of lap traffic and all that. Like he didn't, he have made a, a mistake. Yeah. He made, he made a straight up mistake on a race that he was probably going to win. Otherwise yeah. a very rare mistake by Joseph Newgarden, but a, a mistake, nothing nonetheless. So on a weekend that were proven that, that Scott Dixon is immortal, 
Joseph Newgarden proves he is human. What's your number two? I, I assume yeah, you're going to get more into Joseph Newgarden. I think, well, I mean, number, no, I think number two, I think, is David Malukas. We talked enough yeah. about Joseph Newgarden, but David Malukas, because this is a guy that even I have kind of looked at and talked about on the podcast going, what has he shown exactly to make any team really want him outside of the money that he brings? And it was an impressive performance out of David Malukas getting on the podium and finishing third to Pato and Scott Dixon. So, Coming out of the weekend, I kind of look at it. I'm a little bit more convinced that, hey, maybe David Malukas in the right situation can be an IndyCar race winner. I was impressed by him over the weekend. And I think, and we we knew this going into the season, it would probably be a lot tougher for him as a very young guy who is younger than his teammate, which is yeah. crazy, just by a couple weeks. But still, um, yeah, he's done a full season. He had good results, but just not as much experience you know, as is the team leader uh, going into a second year and a rookie teammate, you knew it would be a struggle uh, compared to teaming with Takuma Sato. That was just a given, but I think it's even been more so of a struggle than I think we anticipated. I'm sure definitely uh, than he anticipated going into it. It definitely was, but for, for him to put up the performance that he did was, uh, was really impressive. But uh, you're number three. My number two. Is that we're at number two? Number okay, two. number two. Sorry. Uh, my number two. Myself. Let's talk Ed Carpenter. <sighs> okay. 24th place finish. Um, In qualifying, he qualified 27th, which was last. Now, he did have to qualify first. But, like, but at what point... this oval specialist. Yeah. At what point is enough enough? I'm perfectly fine with him running the Indy 500. He owns the team. But at what point is he taking away from the team by choosing to run all the oval races? I mean, you, you look at his results this year, a best finish at 13th at Texas. Um, all his other finishes have been 20th or worse. You go to recent years. Um, it's It's been a struggle. Like, this is nothing new here. Last year, he had... It, it, so this year, he finishes with no top 10s. Last year, no top 10s. In 2021, he was 5th at Indy. No other top 10s outside of that. In 2020, no top 10s. 2019 was back when he was still competitive. Uh, sixth at Indy, sixth at Pocono, second at Gateway, and, and even the years before that. But we've just reached a point where outside of the Indy 500, which again, he owns the team, there's plenty of track time to get acclimated. And the Indy 500 is different in the in the sense that some of the results, like you're going for it, you have crashes, whatever. Like he's still somewhat competitive. But at every other track, uh, I mean, Callum Eilat calling him out based on you know, get just getting caught up with Ed Carpenter kind of says all you need to know about what's what's going on. I, I just think it's reached the point where you're hurting your team and it's time to give it up. At the very least, he's not taking a, a, a seat opportunity from somewhere. At least they went into two, two full-time entries and he's just doing a third partial. But I, I understand it can be difficult to give up what you love but ed carpenter so i don't know if there's anybody if it's his wife or somebody really needs to sit him down and be like ed it's over like run the team your team is struggling too yeah you need to be a businessman okay you can't be a dude that is more invested in the five or six or ovals four or five ovals for indycar than actually running a successful business like you're you're looking at at, at least in terms of, of of teams on shaky ground, you have to look at ECR as one of those teams. And and Marshall Pruitt made a great point in his mailbag is when when RLL seemingly hit rock bottom at Indy and not qualifying Graham Ray Hall, it was a line in the sand, all right, things are going to change. And they have. And RLL has had their ups and downs there. But, yeah, they're, they're still not good on ovals. Right. That but hasn't changed. They have made a concerted effort to make that the low point and building up from there. And ECR either hasn't had something that devastating. Maybe they need to miss the Indy 500 with a car for it to really resonate into Ed Carpenter. I don't know. But that's a team that needs to have an internal come-to-Jesus meeting similar to what ROL did. But it seems like Ed is too hung up on still trying to race than actually run a race team. And I have to correct myself. It was Sato who pushed Callum Eilat into the marbles, but you could pretty much have the same point with Sato at this point. Just yeah. just run the Indy 500. Sure. And, and Marshall Pro reporting that 
Sato will probably still have a chance to run the Indy 500 next year, which, which is fine. Like, again, I, I'm not pushing guys out of that race. They've earned it, both of them, based on their success there. But you look at other tracks and it's just, it, it's time. Like, it, they're, when you're away from the series on a week to week basis and you don't have the track time where you get one yeah. practice session for an hour, then you qualify and you're qualifying first most of the time. It's just not a good situa- situation. So uh, Sato, though, has multiple teams interested in signing him for May, according to Pruitt. So that's positive. But for both these guys, I think we're at that point. How many times do we have to watch Ed Carpenter just be terrible on track before yeah. he realizes he doesn't like, belong And, and again, there? Gateway, he was second back in 2019. Remember that thrilling finish where yeah, Sato beat him out? It seems like and 20 years yeah, ago. Right? You know what I mean? I, I mean, it, it's, it feels it's like time forever. to give it up. So that that's, that's my take. I mean, in... What we saw over the weekend with Carpenter struggling, like, I don't, this is not some new point or some. No, it just you know, reinforces it every time it, we it have just, an oval. This was, sticks. this to me felt like the most obvious example. And it finally reached a point where I thought, okay, you're probably not helping your team by running these races. Um, running the Indy 500 is different, but that, that's a team, as you mentioned. No, but even the Indianapolis 500, help. I mean, you're telling me he's better served in the seat for two weeks of practice and qualifying in the race, as opposed to meeting with potential sponsors Sponsors. and existing sponsors and potential future drivers and just building rapport and building relationships and hosting uh, sponsors and hosting big wigs of your team. You're telling me he's serving his team better by being in a seat at the 500 where he's not going to win. I mean, let's be real. Yeah, that that is then, past him. Like yeah, those yeah then, are, then are actually being a, a team owner and schmoozing people in the biggest couple weeks of the entire calendar, you can't tell me that's a better play as a team owner than actually doing those things. You need to be out of the seat, being a businessman, growing your team, which is teetering on the brink without Bitcoin of non-existence. As opposed to trying to relive your glory days in a car in which you're over the hill. And a team that's taken a massive step back from what they were at the start of last season right. compared to now. Um, it doesn't matter what drive, like it's engineering, it's management, it's it's all across the board. They the, need to revamp. The things. only time that they've been in the headlines is when they've been firing a driver this yeah. week, this yeah. year with Connor Daly. That's the only time anybody talked about ECR this entire season is when they fired Connor Daly. In Indy 500 qualifying, of course. The one track where they can actually well, qualify. I, I guess, but it's not like... I, I, I still don't look at ECR as a as a, a team that can win the 500. I don't no. care where they're qualifying. No, they have qualifying. They're, they're the new team Menard, if you will. They, they, and that's the thing. It's like, okay, so they're qualifying in the Fast 9 or Fast or whatever. They're not going to win the race. Yeah, and no one so thinks they're going to win. Yeah, so what do I care where they're qualifying? And I, I don't know if that's so important to... To Ed, that thinks I have, we have to prove that we're fast at Indy, but you need to stop focusing solely on the Indianapolis 500. What's your number? Where are we at? I don't number know. Two? Eight, number two. Who knows? Uh, how many times is Pato Award going to finish second before he wins another race? Right. I mean, that's what four times now this year. I feel Crazy. like we continue to crap on McLaren. Yet Pato Award is like doing everything he possibly can. Oh yeah, to no, try. you have to remove him from that conversation. Yeah. He did have that really bad stretch where he was over aggressive at Indy, over aggressive at Detroit. Where I mean, at Indy, he could have won that race. Yeah, I mean, he's pu- he's been pushing way too much. But really. outside of you know, those are his two bad results on the season, like two really bad results in, in the twenties. He's finished top ten every race since Detroit. Uh, he now has four second place finishes on the season. You'd think eventually he'd win a race, but that whole team, it's just, there's so much going on. You, you, you just wonder like, it's almost like a team the like, behind the scenes stuff. Is that yeah, impacting things? The, it's almost like the ad is like, they're so close, but so far at the same time, that makes sense. Like you feel like any given weekend, McLaren could win a race, but then again, just seems like they're so far off from Bensky and Andretti, don't they? Yeah, well, I mean, Rossi is he's he's got one podium, he's got several top fives, he's been fifth and fourth the last couple of races, but he's never challenged for wins. No. Right? He's Which he's is what he well. went to McLaren to do. Yeah. And, and he's not doing that. it. Felix Rosenquist has had another difficult season. 
I don't know how else to say it. Yeah, I think we've seen enough of Felix Rosenquist to he is know who what he is. He is, he is yeah, in he the top half of the is. field, but he's not in the, the elite group he, above he, that. He, he can challenge for a race, a handful of races a year, or compete for a win, a handful of races a year, but he's not a championship contender. He's not going to be a consistent race win contender. He's just who he is. I think he's a solid, solid driver, and I think there's nothing wrong with that, but... You look at Rossi, I can't remember, there's not a, a race that pops into my mind this year where in the closing laps, Rossi was a factor. He was third in the first Indy GP, and that's the high point. And he, it's not like he was challenging right. for the Right, you never there. felt like, yeah, Blow he was dominated that race. Yes, it wasn't closing laps, Rossi could win this. No, that hasn't happened all year. And isn't that why he went to McLaren to be in that conversation? And he's not. Pato Ward has been in that conversation multiple times this year. But Rossi hasn't. Rosenquist has it. My, so my What's your number three? My number three. So let's talk Alex Pillow. He just quietly goes about his business. New well, on gets track. All, on Behind track. the scenes, yes. he doesn't talk quietly. Yes. On no. track. To be good, good clarification. <laughs> uh, New Garden dominates this race, crashes out. Alex Pillow starts mid-pack. He did have a, a grid penalty um, with, the, with the engine penalties, but improved from 14th to 7th. Another really good finish. He hasn't finished outside what the the top eight all season, which is absurd. Stupid. Um, and then I saw these stats, which again, you this goes to show you how good of a season it's been. Uh, this is from Beyond the Flag. Alex Pillow finished twenty twenty three with a better average oval finish at five point and short oval finish at six point than Joseph Newgarden. 5.8 and 9.0. And Newgarden won Newgarden, four races. Yeah, Newgarden won four of the five ovals. <laughs> now, he had he did crash out and finished way back in the back on, on Sunday, finishing 25th. So that hurts the number. But it's it's astounding because we did talk about recently, Alex Plo is not one on an oval in this series. And I'm sure that win will come, right? Yeah. I, I don't have a doubt. As long as he sticks around, you know, it's not magically going to F1 next year. That win will come. But... It's just astounding that he beat out Joseph Newgarden, who was so dominant on ovals this year. It's uh, it's pretty astounding. The consistency continues to amaze for Alex Pillow. And uh, I just wish the Alex Pillow that was surgical and silent and just went about his business on track was that same person off track. Then again, no, I, I'm lying. I actually want the drama because it, the it 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 makes him interesting. Otherwise, he'd be how people viewed Scott Dixon <laughs> yeah, back in right? the day. It's just uh, it's just kind of a, a boring, like talented driver. Yes. So kudos to Alex Pillow. He's he's going to be your series champion. That's been obvious for the last four or five races, and uh, did what he had to do once again with a grid penalty, starting what 14th, finished in the top 10, seventh, I think, and did what he had to do and watched the people that thought he was their his main contender of, of championship crash out. What's your number three? You know, I've I've been known on this podcast to throw some shade to Connor Daly once or twice. Yeah. How about some kudos for Connor Daly? Yeah. Stepping in Ray Hall Letterman landing and racing, the 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 best finisher for RLL. We know why he got the the nod. He's solid on ovals. He's really good at Gateway in particular. That's been one of his yeah. better tracks. Uh, qualified 11th, finishing 16th. You, you thought maybe with where he started, he could he could eke out a top 10. Didn't happen. But the but he he beat Linus Lundquist, who finished 18th. Graham Rahal 20th. So I, you I mean believe, Christian Lundgaard. Excuse is me. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Christian <laughs> Lundgaard. You got your Lundquist, your Rosenquist, yeah, your Lundgaard, that's be a your problem Blomquist. Going forward. Uh, who am I missing? Uh, going forward next year, it's going to be... Rosie, did you throw Rosenquist Yeah, I said Rosenquist. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a problem. It's going to be so confusing. But I will, for a guy that likes to... I wouldn't say like, but I do crap on Connor Daly at times, or at least, maybe not him himself, but the infatuation of people with Connor Daly. And the fact that he was able to go in there and what he was brought in to do, he did. And respectable 16th wasn't great, but with how the other two cars performed and the overall struggles of that team on ovals, it was a good performance for Connor Daly. That wraps up our three things from Gateway. Now, never saw anything as far as attendance. I'd say it was fine. It Did wasn't you say great. It was up? Uh, it was hard to tell because you got to remember last year they had that long rain delay and finished super late. Right. So I, I, I don't know. But... 
I, I never saw a report as far as attendance and and what what that looked like. It, it did look better than I was afraid of. But you were you particularly earlier this year were vocal and talking about maybe this the time at Gateway coming to a close. Yeah. Do you feel now more confident coming out of the event that it's going to has a steady future in the series? I think it has a future as long as Gateway can keep selling out the NASCAR race. Because oh, yeah. I think that's key. I think that's it's like the the problem is though a track gets an IndyCar race and then it's great for a couple of years and then they get a NASCAR race yeah. and then it just completely usurps the IndyCar race. Right. So, but, but NASCAR selling out at Gateway or coming close, if that continues to happen, I think that keeps the IndyCar race around, especially as long as they have a title sponsor. Now, getting into kind of some some other things as far as schedule stuff, we'll just talk about this now since it relates, but Marshall Pruitt reporting that he's hearing that Gateway could go back to being a, a night race next year. Could, which would help the crowd. Which probably. would absolutely help the crowd. Now, he did say, you know, whether it's Saturday or Sunday, and I'm thinking uh, a Sunday night, I, I better hope that's on like Labor Day weekend right. or something. Holiday right? weekend I, I mean, of some sort. Which I, I don't know. It was a week before Labor Day weekend this week, this yeah. year. Maybe it moves up a week. I think when you look at what, what Gateway has become, and some people, myself included, kind of felt, man, once Gateway got NASCAR... IndyCar became secondary and and that's should be expected because of the money involved in NASCAR. But look at it this way is now gateway has a natural windfall built in. If it doesn't pull in a mega crowd for IndyCar because it's getting that money for the cup date. Yeah. The, the NASCAR TV money, right? Yeah, it's which getting is the NASCAR team money, money which, which gives you more of a leeway for the IndyCar race because you're banking so much money from that. So I know, and, and, and myself included in this, you feel kind of crappy that, oh, now NASCAR comes in and they're the main show in town. Well, without it, you're looking at Gateway having to be much more successful like it was in the early years to continue to be viable. If you continue to have half-empty Gateway races without a NASCAR race at Gateway, then IndyCar would go away sooner. So it's kind of a necessary evil, I guess, if you're looking at it that way. Well, and, and you know, you, you careful what you wish for department. You look at the, the TV ratings, so... Uh, between NBC and, and Peacock, the total audience delivery, which is how NBC you know, talks about their numbers, 1.132 million viewers, eighth IndyCar race to surpass a million average viewers. We're on track for the most watched IndyCar season since 2008. So again, that's all positives. I've positive. not seen a percentage as far as how much it was up, but... Hey, up is up. Up is up. IndyCar just needs to get through the final two races and hopefully up is up after Laguna Seca. Yeah, that's that's the thing that's is I, where I, you lose out. I know they're teasing the the most watched season since 2008. There has to be some sort of asterisk there. Like we, you and I were talking about it earlier this week is the amount of network races, okay? Compared to the last 15 years, only the last couple years have rivaled that. Okay? So that's kind of deceiving a little bit, but at the same time, if IndyCar can say it's up from last year, then that's good. Right? So let's look at 2008, the IndyCar series in DirecTV HD. Ah, the first year HD, huh? Split, yes. So as far as where things stood, and this article, of course, doesn't show me the the TV details, but I, I remember it was ABC, ESPN, ESPN two, and apparently ESPN Classic. Ah, um, so how many network races did they have? So. That year? On Looks like six? they had IMS, Milwaukee Mile, Iowa, Watkins Glen, Mid-Ohio, Belle Isle, and Chicagoland. So seven. That's actually a lot. Seven and, network races. And you had the, the, the rest were ESPN or ESPN2. Now, the problem is you had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven on ESPN2. Yeah, so but still, back then... That had a lot I mean, more yeah. viewership. Right. I mean, a lot, a ton more. of viewership. So, I, I think hopefully it holds. I don't know if it will because we'll have a drop off with Portland because of college football, and we'll definitely have a drop off at Laguna Seca because of the NFL. But so I don't know if it can if it can stand the test of time over the final two weeks and say it's the most watched since two thousand eight. But if we can come out of it and say it's higher than the viewers average viewership than last year, then. That's a positive. They also had five night races that year. Really? Yeah, Kentucky is a night race. Okay. 
you had Richmond, Texas, Texas. Um, um, of course, I closed out of it. Uh, <laughs> Homestead, Miami is the season okay. opener. Was a night race. It was a night race. I remember watching that. And, uh, and there's one other. I'm free. Did I say Richmond? Yes, you said, I said Richmond. Richmond. Iowa. Um, no, I was not a night race then. I don't believe. Um, Fontana. Perhaps. Fontana night race. But it just goes to show you, you know, how much the the schedule has changed here. I pulled it back up, but uh, Richmond. No, Nashville. That's what ah, I was forgetting. The, the Oval, Nashville Super, Super Speedway. Speedway. Yes. Times have changed, huh? But I think yeah. if, if, if IndyCar can get through the next two races, and at the end, if you can say it's the most watched in 15 years, great. But if you can say well, before it's up from last, last year, week, Like before this race, it was 2016, and then it was a huge jump because uh-huh. you had another race on network TV. That's true. So, so how does it balance out on the final two and races? And with the final two races that. being on network, I mean, Labor Day weekend, you're in a good spot because there's nothing on on Sunday afternoon, really. Now, the, no. the negative is people aren't watching TV Correct. Sunday afternoon on Labor Day weekend. Yeah. Now, in the nighttime, they are. but And then, of course, the season finale, you're up against the NFL, and in particular, the Colts. That's death. And But if you yeah. can pull, what would you say, realistic? If you could pull 750,000. Oh, yeah, that'd be, that'd be great. That'd be amazing. I mean, you're not touching a million. Here's the thing. In the, in the final weekend. I, I think IndyCar is lucky that the Colts, yes, they're in the early time slot for their NFL opener, but they're expected to be bad. And yeah, if they're getting I, blown out, that will get fans to switch well, over. Well, but I also think that Colts fans will be energized by watching Anthony Richardson. They may True. tune in for four quarters to watch Anthony Richardson. Perhaps. But I think when you look at it, is last year inevitably it fell off the final two two weeks of the season, two races. So you, you have some built-in cushion there. I just hope, like we always say, up is up. And if IndyCar can finish up from 2022, then it's a victory in my opinion. Absolutely. Let's get to silly season stuff. First off, a confirmation. Now, we had seen this rumored out there, but this is exciting. Linus Lundquist, who, of course, won Indy Lights in 2022, started uh, several races this year for Meyer Shank Racing, filling in for Simon Paginot. Um, He is now a multi-year contract with Chip Ganassi Racing starting in 2024. I mean, what? He was 18th on Sunday? Yes, 18th. Fastest race lap. That's positive. 12th. Was that his first the, oval? Yeah, first oval. I mean, stayed out of trouble. Wasn't embarrassingly slow. Didn't cause any issues. He, he had two of the three races. He had the fastest race lap. He also did at Nashville. Obviously, he crashed out there. And then 12th at the uh, Indy GP with a, a really good start and good qualifying effort. I, I mean, you have to be impressed. So does he slide he into the Marcus Erickson seat then? Is that what we understand? Uh, it's unclear as far as the number, but yes, that would be my guess because... Marcus Armstrong, uh, according to Marshall Pruitt in the mailbag, is He's expected be a full-time guy to be year. full-time next year. And uh, he would be in the 11 car. So so you're looking but, at a lineup with Dixon, Polo, uh, Lundquist, and why can't I? Marcus uh, Armstrong. Armstrong, yes. That's your foursome. It's not bad. I mean, you got two young guys who you think are up and coming. Yeah, and you got you have the, a, a, the, the old man, the yeah, grandpa, the and, you, and have you have the, the best the driver new, in the series. Yeah, right? the, so, I mean, you have two two of the best drivers in the series, two of the three. I mean, yeah. Garden's the other guy that's probably on well, the Well, no, I would... Alex Pillow is the best driver in the series. Oh, yeah, right no, now. I agree. I'm yes. just saying Pillow, Dixon, Newgarden. I, get, I could un- entertain an argument for any driver, but I would go with Pillow as number one, and then Dixon and Newgarden interchangeable. Here's the, here's the thing. If you're talking best driver and most well-rounded driver, are they different conversations or the same? I'd say they're different because Pelot has had a lot of success, but he still hasn't won on an over. Correct. So you, you have to take that into account. Yeah. I think some people would say, how could you how could you say Alex Pelot is the best driver when he's not the most well-rounded? Because I think we can agree that Joseph yeah. Newgarden is the most well-rounded driver. Yes. in the in Newgarden the, or Dixon. I yeah. Mean. Well, I mean, I'm talking about recent years. I think yeah, in recent go, years, yes. It's Joseph Newgarden. But I, I'm wondering how people, what people think. Is that those two different conversations? or are they? I think they're two different conversations as well, but doesn't mean we're right. Uh, so Lundquist will join Ganassi at Portland and at Laguna Seca to participate you know, in engineering meetings and, and, and all that and working with the race team. So he'll have a role there. But overall, really good news. We were worried he wasn't going to get a chance. 
And then he got a, a chance this year and then obviously has done enough for Chip Ganassi to go all in. And and let's look at this now. It wasn't the ideal situation for Linus Lundqvist. He didn't directly go from lights to IndyCar, but the system worked. It was yes. delayed and there was worry that it would ever, but in, inevitably the system worked. He had enough money from his scholarship to get an opportunity at IndyCar. It wasn't immediate, but it happened at some point. He proved that he's good enough to deserve a full-time ride in IndyCar, and he got it. So we've been salty about him being left out, but in the end, the system worked as designed in terms of opening a door and giving him an opportunity to prove what he can do, and it's turned into a full-time opportunity. It just didn't work in the traditional way that we're used to going directly from Indy Lights into the next season as a, a full-time driver somewhere. And I think most importantly, you look at the, the fact that he did get that chance. Like He did. It, it took, took a while. It took it, longer than I think anyone would have liked. And he got the opportunity because he won the Indy Lights championship and had that scholarship money. And then use that to show himself and clearly showed enough. Yes. That he is, is so, going to be the favorite for rookie of the year next year, obviously. And then, you know, what What can he do, right? We think he's a really talented driver. He's just got to be consistent. That's always the thing. I think for for the expectations for Linus Lundqvist, I think that's what we, we, we talk about going into next season. But the fact that he showed out and looked comfortable in the races that he was in this year... I don't think we look at next next year and say he's a, a race winner, but I think he can get a couple podiums maybe next year. Yeah, I think it would take some luck for him to be a race winner. At least, yeah. though, he's with the team that you have the confidence he can do it. And then uh, Marcus Armstrong, um, again, expected to be in the number 11 cars. With that lineup, you would think he's a guy who could um, you know, perhaps win a race. Definitely just having the consistency of being in the car every week helps sure so and he's shown enough too i feel to deserve that's it. where that stands uh news wise for 2024 meanwhile for 2023 we got several other stories coming out this week uh, unfortunately simon pajo uh, out again as he continues to recover with post concussion symptoms still lingering so tom blomquist will finish out the season at meyer shank racing in the number 60 car that is not a surprise makes the most sense just get him experience he'll still be eligible to, to be a rookie of the year driver next year as well. So that makes a lot of sense. Meanwhile, Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan racing. They're hiring Yuri Vips mm. for the number 30 car for the final two races of the season. A, a guy who's been kind of controversial. Kind of. Yeah. I guess that's an <laughs> understatement. Well, and, and you and I kind of, kind of back and forth too, when this one is announced and, and you told me that they had turned the comments off on the, on the, yeah, on the or post. whatever. Yes. On the post. Here's my thing. Yuri Vips screwed up. Okay. Used a derogatory term. So did Kyle Larson. Yeah. Look at Kyle Larson now. Okay. So I'm not canceling people for a, an error in judgment and using a word they shouldn't because Kyle Larson did it. And pretty much the same experience. What did Yuri Vips? Was it a. A online Racial race slur. Well, no, I know. Was it an e-racing event or uh, something like that? That I'm not sure of. I'm not sure if it was online or something, whatever, but he screwed up and I'm willing to give the kid another chance. I'm not, I'm not running around. It, it was to, a Twitch live stream. There yeah. you go. So it was, he was gaming. So Twitch, yes. Twitch lives, just like Kyle Larson. Okay. I'm not in the in the habit of canceling people because of one mistake, no matter how big or small it is. I'm not. I hate when people go through people's old tweets or Instagram posts or Facebook posts and find something that's derogatory or demeaning or something that they said years and years and years ago. Because trust me, if social media was around when I was an idiot in high school, college, you could probably go back and find some things that I would regret putting out there. Okay. So I'm not in the business of canceling people for an error in judgment because I don't want you know, glass houses. Plenty of people got stuff that they don't want to come out. Right. So he's also 23 years old. I mean, yeah, get the kid a break. So this happened a couple years ago. It, so it live and yeah. learn. If he, if he's wise up about it now, if he's a better person, if he knows, can't be saying that stuff, just like Kyle Larson learned a lesson. Yeah. 
is a better person for it, then full steam ahead, man. I got no problem with Yuri Vips getting an opportunity. And here's the thing. This is an evaluation period. If he runs well, you would think he'd be a contender for that seat next year. Yeah, this is, I mean, it's, a, it's very much a tryout, and he has the edge because he's getting the seat time. So he also will not be the first Estonian to make an IndyCar start. Tonis Casemets, who, well-known name, uh, made six starts in 2006. It's a well-known name? Yeah, he's, he's like a, a perfect candidate for random split oh, air driver. I know. Well, it's, he, he is, he's on the fine line of too well-known to be yes. random. Yes. Oh, that's, that's kind of the point. Yeah, it, it's a very difficult. This is a very difficult job, folks, finding random split air drivers of the week absolutely in the weeds. Because we can talk about all the Billy Boats and Jimmy Kites we want here. But um, unfortunate for Yuri Vips, he is not the first Estonian. All right. Several other silly season uh, notes from the mailbag first. Yes, sir. So uh, Marcus Erickson, uh, F1 experience, zero interest to Andretti, uh, according to Marshall Pruitt. But they first approached him after he won the Indy 500. So I found that interesting. Um, Also, talking about the Peterson-Foyt relationship. Um, Pruitt saying he's hearing Devlin DeFrancesco is a name to watch if a seat opens up at Foyt. Hmm. And then this one from IndyCar Deep Throat. Uh, there's a rumor that Stuart Haas is selling a charter to 2311 and Denny Hamlin is leaving uh, to run his own team, I believe, with that charter. Then Stuart could partner with the team in IndyCar in 2024 or 2025 as a satellite operation a la Mike Shank and Meyer Shank Racing. So there, there's several layers of this to digest. And I watched Daytona last week, so you didn't have to. But it was a very entertaining Thank race, you. I felt. Um, I've already made some points on our, fa- on, our, on our Twitter account based on when people complain about commercials in IndyCar and missing action, the stage system works great to have commercial breaks where there's nothing going on. And also, at least at Daytona, it takes few mileage out of it when you have stages. But anyway... When you look at 2311, and this was on Denny Hamlin's podcast last week, and he was asked if he was in position to push somebody to a win at Daytona to get them into the playoff. And I think Christopher Bell needed to win to make the playoff. Does that sound right? Do we know? Or Ty Gibbs. Let's say Ty Gibbs, because he de- I know he definitely needed to win. Let's say Ty Bell Gibbs. won races, I yeah. believe. Yeah. Let's say Ty Gibbs. He was in a position to either bump Ty Gibbs to a win or Bubba Wallace to a win or Tyler Reddick to a win, one of his two 2311 racing drivers. He said, I'm going to push the t- a driver from the team that I own to a win. And I don't necessarily disagree with that. Joe Gibbs may. And is this intel from IndyCar Deep Throat kind of piggybacking off that comment and saying, hmm, if he's in it, not all for Joe Gibbs racing, which I always thought it was kind of a weird dichotomy that Denny Hamlin races for a team that he doesn't own. There's another team in the series that he does own. I thought it was a little weird. But the stars would align in that respect if Joe Gibbs is a little salty about Denny Hamlin's not in it for us as much as he is for his own team. Hence, he's going to go to 2311, his own team, and the charter is then going to be sold to that team. That would line up to what I've heard based on what I was watching at Daytona. Meanwhile, regarding Alex Blow, IndyCar Deep Throat says his new contract, and remember, he was making, what, like two hundred to $300,000 a year on his current deal with Ganassi. Well, now we're looking at six to $7 million a year in a multi-year deal, making him the highest paid driver in the series which would also make him one of the highest paid drivers in the series in about 20 years, which is insane. Chip likes winners. I mean, that's going back to like the tobacco money in those contracts. Chip likes winners. Does it reset the market? Because in other sports, a guy gets a a massive raise that, that transcends all the other salaries in the league. Does this reset the market for IndyCar? I think Scott Dixon and Colton Herta getting, you know, five and six million a year. I mean, Chip's paying for guys now. Yeah. And clearly the success that they're having, they're well, investing more in their drivers all of a sudden. Well, Scott Dixon's having success. I don't know yeah. much about Colton Herta. Well, true. But, but that's, um, that, that money is because of essentially, oh, we'll take you to F1. So that's a way to keep you with the team and, and dangle that carrot. Of course, I think we don't think that's going to go anywhere now yeah. because the, the latest with that, 
from uh, Adam Stern pulling from Joe Saward and, and his blog he covers F1 is that basically, yeah, it's not going to happen. Not that this is a shock, but no. it does not look good uh, as far as Andretti Global. There's no objection from the FIA, but the Formula One group, there seems no interest at all in them agreeing, which is a shame. And we talked about it before starting the the recording and, and, and Indy 44, Matt Archuleta on on Twitter um, chimed in with this uh, yesterday, I think Wednesday, said, quote, I hope people don't forget the Andretti treatment from Formula One when it comes time to buy tickets for races in the United States. I know there are probably some people out there that will it will affect their their viewership of Formula One. For me, I couldn't care less that Andretti's not getting into Formula One. Is it fair? No, it's not necessarily fair. But does it change my viewing habits one iota of Formula One because of Andretti being shut out? And no, it doesn't. I'm still going to watch Monza. I'm still going to watch most races, record them, and if they're good, I'll keep watching past the first three races. Or if you text me and say it's halfway yeah, decent, yeah. then I'll keep watching. But not once have I been watching a Formula One race going, you know what? I really don't care about this because Andretti's getting screwed over by the teams. Maybe what? I'm in the minority, but I just, I don't, it doesn't affect how I feel about Formula One. A couple of notes about Milwaukee. Uh, Marshall saying, I was told Milwaukee's looking really good for next year. Oh, well, is it Gateway? Did he get that from this podcast yeah, that we've been talking for it, months about? Yeah, from us like several months ago. Um, and then he also went on to say in, in a video after Gateway is that Gateway could be uh, looking likely to return to a night race again next year. I think we already mentioned that. And then also had positive things to say about Milwaukee. So again, this is not really a surprise. And, but and Marshall that's Pruitt the latest there. saying both of those races could be in the latter part of the year, maybe even back-to-back weekends. Yeah, in the which, final four or five races correct, of the season. Which then I proposed you race at Gateway. You have a hauler race to Milwaukee, and then you race at Milwaukee. And the hauler race would be would, would award points. That should that should award your um your pit box your pit position. box yes I would agree that should be your pit your pit assignment. All right, uh, let's talk about an actual race this weekend. We have, let's we have do so it. much to dive into here. Uh, so for Portland coming up this weekend, uh, Friday practice session again West Coast. So it'll be later on the East Coast, six to seven fifteen Eastern on Friday. Practice two on Saturday noon to one Eastern. Again, usual outlets, Peacock, IndyCar Live, Sirius XM, IndyCar Radio. Qualifying 3.30 to 5 Eastern Saturday afternoon. Um, right in the heart of college football for us. Ooh, and yeah. then uh, final practice Saturday, uh, 8.15 to 8.45. And then the, the coverage on NBC and IndyCar Radio, 3 to 6 p.m. on Sunday. As far as the green flag time, approximately 3.15, it looks like. Leading right into the cup race at... Darlington? Yes. Southern 500? Yes, I believe so. Which is, that, that's good. That could help. Do you have a, a winner prediction for this? <sighs> Who won last year? McLaughlin? I, uh, you know what? That's a, that's a really good question. I, last year. I, I don't remember. Um, uh, it was McLaughlin. Uh, nah, 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 nah. I'm going to stick with Penske. And I'm going to say Joseph Newgarden. I think Joseph Newgarden, a week after making a mistake at Gateway, letting a win get away, he wins at Portland. I'm torn between two drivers. Um, you know what? I'm going to say Pato Award. He finally breaks through and gets You know, I picked Pato a couple times this year. Have it, hasn't worked out. I think I picked him last week. Finished second. Yeah. But he's got to get over the hump at some, t- at some point. Maybe he'll do it for Caleb. All right. If you agree or disagree with our picks or anything else, let us know. You can find us at NewTrackRecordPodcast.com. While you're there, sign up for the email list. It is free. You won't miss any special announcements or any episode announcements. Um, we'll send, send you weekly emails and other special emails as they arrive. Plus, you can check out the store. We have t-shirts and stickers for sale. Uh, you can reach us on social media, IndyCar Podcast, the handle on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. Just look for New Track Record. You can email us, NewTrackRecordPodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can support us via Patreon, patreon.com slash NewTrackRecord. Thanks to Xavier, Rob, and several others for their support of the podcast again starting at just one dollar a month and as always you can download and listen for free on your favorite podcasting platform apple spotify google amazon overcast Castbox, 
wherever you listen to podcasts all for free. Mailbag time, and we have a lot to get to. A lot, a lot to get to just over, over the last week or so. And we start off with some, some thoughts on Ed Carpenter. Uh, Scuba Steve 85, wish they give him an, an indefinite stop and hold penalties talking about in the race. Mm-hmm. Uh, he adds nothing to the show, just takes resources away from the rest of his team. Which needs all the help it can get. One off to the 500, go for it, but it's past time to hang it up for all the other races. Uh, also from Jamin T14, he's always been a class act, but between ECR's inability to give drivers a competitive car, his obviously diminished skills, it may be time to say goodbye to driving. Yep. I'm I'm on board with him racing at Indy. I get that you're maybe not, but either way, it's clear a, a change needs to happen. Definite change needs to, to happen sooner rather than later. Newgarden uh, with his contact with Pato. Several responses here. NK Hard Newgarden used to be so likable. That was just an entitled a-hole. Um, Heil Heil Mike said heck of a race so far. I love Gateway. And then Jay Blasteri felt like Newgarden blocked a couple times. Dangerous on an oval and he would still be crying if someone did that to him. Yes, That's true. New and Garden haters out there. A lot of haters. He's. I would agree that, and that just doesn't go for New Garden. I think that goes for a lot of drivers that if so, if stuff that they did was done to them, they'd be a little bit, they'd be salty. Uh, several responses on Dixon not having an onboard. Pilot Shevchenko, 360 degree cameras are cheap now, probably less expensive and more reliable than putting a conventional cam on a pan mechanism and it doesn't miss anything. Get 28 or 33 of those. There's a Kodak camera. Uh, Rock D. This doesn't surprise me. Also, don't believe we heard any team communications on the broadcast. Scott Dixon's car, uh, telling us it has to be sponsored or any car won't use it. So, pony up the dough, all you cheapskates. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then SCTJ9, he should have one every race. Yes, I agree, but PNC's not ponying up the money, right? And so, therefore, no onboard. Correct. It is what it is. It's it's unfortunate, but we That's should absolutely have it. I don't disagree. Uh, elsewhere on our mailbag this week, again, I, I said we have a lot. I wasn't kidding. Uh, a lot from rate the race. How would you rate the race? I added it as a six and a half. I, I'll go seven just to be different. But yeah, it, it there wasn't a lot in the middle. The end with the strategy was entertaining. Usually I don't find that that entertaining, yeah. but it was just because it was so bold compared to everyone else. Yeah, and how dominant the decision was. The uh, replies here, Poet Shevchenko, I think it gets a six. Had its moments. I don't know if it's arrow or tires, but cars getting a bit wide just go wider and wider, and many times just barely missing the wall. Sometimes they hit the wall. Whenever they should try rock hard tires next to minimize marbles. Yeah, the, between the marbles and the fact that it's one groove, it's bad. Uh, FitJ1983 gave it a one. It's pretty bad. Ooh. We need to be real with this. I think any guy really needs to figure out how to attack this track. I do not disagree with that. When a 10th place car can save, can fuel save one second off the pace for 140 laps without fear of being passed by a single car, it's a serious problem. I do think when you look I at, at, at with marbles, if marbles are fine or degradation is fine with tires, but if it's affecting the racing line or a potential racing line, it needs to be dealt with. And maybe that means at every caution that comes out or even... God forbid we say that there's a a uh, caution thrown by Indy car just to take care of the marbles. I know that people will will frown on that because of, of NASCAR doing it sometimes in terms of competition cautions and stuff. But for the for the for the show, if 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 the, maybe you set a mandate and say, okay, if we go over eighty laps, seventy five, eighty laps of green at this racetrack, we throw a competition caution and get rid of those marbles. I think it's fair. Jeremy from HPG saying six. Dixon just schooled the entire field. Daniel SEM 2004. Seven. The track being overcast and not as hot. Gave the race a chance of not being awful. Over 400 on-track passes is evidence. car has to keep this from being a midday high-temp race if it wants to remain successful. Dixon dominating sometimes happen. Uh, Big D car gave it a five. Only Dixon Mike Hull kept it from being a two. Uh, DC Soda Dixon fuel save gets a two for me and I'm being generous. Daguerre gave it a three, boring as usual at this track. The alternative tire didn't do much to mix things up. The different strategies made for some excitement. It was great to see Linus beating Elio on his oval debut. That's an interesting point. Uh, Hunter's Way 67 gave it a four. Dixon wins another race without passing anyone. Thank you, Mike Hole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's, that's a challenge. <laughs> Jamin T14, I give it a five. Watched the first 50 laps live. Finished it late Sunday night. 
difficult to stay awake by the end. Uh, Rock Fam D gave it a four. One group made it impossible to pass. Cars laps down were able to hold up a contender, hold up contenders for 10, 20, 30 laps. Most passes made in the pits. Needs to be a night race for extra grip for the track. Sounds like it could be as soon I, as next year. I hope year. so. Uh, NK Harden gave it a five. Variety of strategies is about the only interesting part. It's also what killed the finish. When was the last time the winner had a lap on everyone? It's It's been a while. Uh, Jimmy B44140 gave it an eight. Beans B Car Blog gave it a six. We need more passing. Thrill of the outcome, though. T Jarrett 312 gave it a two. Called it a snoozer. Jay Blaster gave it a strong seven. Different strategies, different leaders, different oval winner, good crowd, alternate tires on one mile ovals need to be used going forward. Dixon hole combination is simply incredible. Yeah, you know, we didn't even talk about the alternate tire because it, it was never really no, it just, never really a factor like it like drivers used it. They tried to keep it a shorter stint and they moved on. I just don't. It, was it more of a detriment to the the event? So instead, here's the problem with with IndyCar. They looked at, at the issue and say, OK, gateway is lacking. What could we do? Oh, I know. We can make them run the alternate tire instead of saying, oh, I know if there's no caution within if we run more than 80 laps of green, we're going to throw a competition caution and go out there and sweep the marbles and make sure there's at least the possibility of another groove there. That's directly assessing. That's directly attacking the problem, isn't it? As opposed to, well, let's do alternates. Maybe that'll change things up. Like, no, IndyCar needs to be direct and say, if the if if the marbles if the degradation of the tires is affecting the race in a negative way, then you directly attack the problem. And I think it was no more evident at Gateway that the marbles are a detriment when you can't go out there and sweep them. Meanwhile, talking about fuel strategy, I think you posted this poll. Uh, nearly sixty six percent said just enough. About 25% said too many, nearly 10% said not a- enough of them. Yeah, too many. Well, fuel mileage races, basically, is what we're talking about. Tyler underscore Allen said, no matter, there always be fuel strategy unless you have mandatory stops. Uh, Nick J. Fletcher said, maybe IndyCar could look into giving Dixon a 17.5 gallon fuel cell to make it fair for everyone <laughs> else. Remember, has he actually finished with 19 gallons of fuel in his car? And then Poet Shevchenko saying, I will say just enough because the things that people may say our problems with fuel strategy come from other sources. Imagine if Award and Malukas on fresh tires could be catching Dixon at two seconds a lap and in the race with a photo finish. Tires and marbles were a problem. Interesting yes. point. I mean, the fact that the other cars had no opportunity, part of it was lap traffic, and part of it was just when you have long green flag stints, that's just how this works out. And that's why I would love to see, you know what, we've gone green long enough, we need to sweep the track, here's a caution. Uh, this from Daguerre, uh, sending us here is Bjorn Wordheim for you, a previous random splitter driver of the week, an expert for the Swedish IndyCar broadcast on Viaplay. How about that? We should so get him on cool. the show. Yeah, that would that would be pretty exciting. So, so Bjorn, how does it feel to be a random splitter driver of the week? So that is that is a look at the mailbag this week. Uh, time for news and notes. Not a whole lot to get to here. We start off. So last week, an article came out on Racer talking about Penske Entertainment leaders and team owners meeting during the Brickyard GP weekend. They discussed a, an expanded leader circle partnership program, AKA charters, AKA top 22 teams, you know, buy in and have guaranteed entries in the 8500. Remember this story, you know, Penske has been on this kick for quite some time. So this is not a surprise, but mm-hmm. The, the, nothing's agreed. This is preliminary. I'm not going to overreact no, or react until either. there's something concrete. I, I I don't hate the idea of charters. I don't think they would work in the way that they work in NASCAR, but I do think there's something there to protect the teams and maybe make it more lucrative to have an entry into the series. I, I don't necessarily hate it and make it more competition to be able to race in the series. I think we've reached a point with 27 cars that I feel like if you're going to enter the series now, you should be competitive because we already, we have enough four five, six back markers with either teams or drivers that they're just not competitive. Why do we need to add more? So th- I I'm in that respect willing to entertain charters or a charter system 
I don't look at 27 full-time starters and go, man, I wish there were 29 or 30 no, or no. 32. We're, we're tapped out. Yeah. So, and when you hear about these other teams that are interested in getting into IndyCar, I say, you know what? Would it, wouldn't it be better if some of these lower tier teams drop off and then new teams come in? And I know that's kind of sacrilege and oh my gosh, we can't lose a single team in IndyCar, but that's just what happens in auto racing. You it's have teams business, that it's right? ebb and flow, teams right? Come and go. And if you come in and you don't perform and you run out of money, then you drop out. And maybe you sell and maybe maybe the charter system would then allow that team to have some sort of financial windfall so they don't completely lose their ass and say, Hey, we're dropping out of the series, but we're gonna be able to sell our charter for I don't know, five million dollars. And then they can make some money back and maybe pay their employees or whatever. And not that, you know, the owner isn't completely walking away with empty pockets. I don't necessarily hate that idea, but for all these people, and, and, and I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody. Anytime you see a racer article about a, a, a team or a, a person interested in, in fielding a team, you get all excited, but then you look at it and go, there's no room. Yeah. Like you're talking about Pratt Miller. It's like, okay, that's That'd great. Be, yeah. And then you're looking at like, how's that going to work? What are they going to come in? And all of a sudden we have 29 full-time entry. Like in that respect, I think there's something to be said about a charter system to where, look, you want to get into this series, you buy your way in and maybe you're more competitive than the team you replace. And that raises the entire profile of the series. Meanwhile, elsewhere in the latter uh, Anderson Promotions has announced that Continental Tire hey, hey. will be the presenting partner and official tire of the USF Pro Championships, USF Pro 2000, USF 2000, USF Juniors, five-year agreement starting next year. So they move away from Cooper, go to Continental Tire. And that was like literally two messages that went out on Twitter. It was like that that uh, relationship is ending and then Continental Tire is yeah. on board. It was like yeah. within five minutes. If you're wondering why I'm saying Continental Tire weird, uh, it's because they were a, a sponsor on. If you I'm, know, you know. Yeah, if you know, you know. Um, a, a different podcast that deals with race car drivers and interviewing them. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Uh, use your imagination. I'm sure most of you already know what I'm talking about. Um, other notes: uh, Aaron McLaren, IndyCar Drivers Pato Award; Alexander Rossi, Tony Kadan, joining the brand's 60th anniversary celebrations at this year's Velocity Invitational event at Sonoma. In November, we forgot to get to our three key stats for Portland from Chad 200. Uh-huh. Uh, Newgarden finished inside the top 10 in all four Portland starts. No top fives. Max Chilton has led more laps than him. Ooh. Dixon finished on the podium the last two Portland races, going for third straight win this season, has finished seventh or better in every race since Long Beach. And then Rossi, eighth, third, second, and seventh. Best average finishing position at 5.0 among all drivers. So there you go. How about that? And as far as tweets of the week, so we got two. This is from NASCAR man underscore RR. RIP Bob Barker uh, d- died at 99 uh, within the last week. But saying Bob was a constant presence in the Indy 500 in the 1970s as he hosted the national TV coverage for the 500 Festival Parade the day before the race. Oh, did not I know had that. no idea. Me neither. So that was fascinating. And then the other one, this from Hunkos uh, Hollinger Racing. Our apologies to David Malukas and Dale Coyne Racing for the incident last weekend. Unfortunately, the evidence remains on our car. And they put a so funny. a shoe, you know, like the 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 print of a shoe, like yes. underneath the, the sole of the shoe, print on the nose of the car. They added it. And then the crew guy who apparently stepped on the nose of the car, <laughs> they brought him over to see it and he put his foot on it and everyone was laughing, having a good uh, time. That's good stuff. So absolutely great. Time for our random split air driver of the week. All right, we're going to the OG IRL season and going to 1996 slash 1997. It was such a huge year. You, could only, you couldn't contain it in a single year. And we're going with Alan May. Who? Alan May from Dallas, Texas. He drove in the F2000 National Championship in 1997. He started a single race in the Indy Racing League for Arizona Motorsport. What a name. Uh, whoever that is. You know what's funny is that also the, the team listed below on the Wikipedia page, Send in Racing Services, uh-huh. they're the people who for a long time, I think they still do, operate the two-seater. Really? I hey, that brings up something else we were start talking about, about McLaren having a two-seater. Yes. And who was taken for a ride? I can't remember, but it was McLaren. And do they also have a two-seater? Or is it the same two-seater? I can't imagine it's the uh, same two-seater. I don't know. Right? So I'm looking this up. Indy Racing Experience was formed in 2001. And 
Jeff Sinden is is uh-huh. one of the names. So he said, Sinden let's stretch services. out a regular car, allow for a passenger to sit behind the driver, uh-huh. and you know experience what it's like. And obviously, they've been around for over twenty years now. Um, th- these this their page is actually out of date because I'm sure they've done a lot more than twelve thousand rides. They probably mm-hmm. doubled or tripled that. Yeah, but yeah, there you go. But uh, his one race, talking about Alan May, was at Texas and crashed out on lap 36 and finished in 22nd place. One and done with Arizona Motorsports, a.k.a. Sinden Racing Services, drove a Delara Oldsmobile and was one and done. Also uh, did uh, some USF 2000 before that race and also in 2002 did some USF 2000 and did some... Formula Continental SCCA National Races as well. The Sports Car Club of America. But it was one and done for Mr. Alan May, this week's Random Split Error Driver of the Week. And that wraps it up for this week's episode. We'll be back next week to recap the BitNile.com Grand Prix of Portland. For Justin Kinney, I am Caleb Hatch. This has been New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.